0: Get out of here. Way back hooks up. There's a the cycle. You can't put it on the board. Yes. A single, double, triple, and home run in one game. And he is hit for the cycle.
1: All right, all right, all right. We're back. The cycle. So 17. Is it right? I believe it's 17. Episode 17 of The Cycle. Day. Jim Flanagan is here with me. I'm Pat McGann. I'm your host. And we have a stellar episode. It's a special Brexit episode. <laughs> We're going to talk about Brexit the and entire time. the ramification, how it's going to affect the White Sox. I
2: mean, really, that's what it that all boils down to.
1: <laughs> one hour of Brexit talk. <laughs> Uh, no, we have a great episode, I believe, and uh, I know I say that a lot, but I'm excited about this one because it's uh, a little bit different. Marv Levy, now we've had Hall of Famers on here before, we never had someone from the NFL Hall of Fame. The level of guests, come on. It's pretty incredible. You can, we can be impressed. I mean, yeah,
2: we've we've gotten to talk to some great people. Um, Levy, again, Hall of Fame coach, uh, just all around great guy too, uh, 90 years old, about to be 91 years old,
1: and... If I am this sharp... Uh, at 91. she be 91 in August. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is born in 1925. I was looking at that. You know what was going on in 1925? Calvin Coolidge was president <laughs> in 1925. The That's great incredible. Gatsby came out in 1925. Impression. Miss America was Faye Lamphere. <laughs> Remember her, <laughs> the controversy? She no. had a bathing suit that showed her forearms. <laughs> <laughs> that what was going on in 1925 <laughs> that brings perspective no this guy is uh you know what it's no secret either right to to stay that sharp and to be that on top of things yeah. the guy's still working out every day it's unbelievable
2: it's just he's like oh i didn't get to run today because i hurt my hip i I haven't run in like three weeks because <laughs> that why? time, just because no reason, because <laughs> I'm not chasing an ice cream truck. That's the only reason I ran three weeks he, ago. Like He could have
1: said, I didn't run today because I'm 90. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but he's, had to, he's like, and I'm really mad because I work out every day, so I'm going to have to find something else to do today. I love the comparison, and we talk about a little bit um, to another, I won't give the name away, to another historic coach that everyone knows about his work ethic and his approach to life and I think it's very um rings true. With- the moment
2: I heard that, the the moment that kind of that comparison came up, it was it just it made complete sense to me. I mean, just both that same type of guy. Yeah. Uh, really just cerebral and really very kind
1: of the key to my success is all
2: the people around me. You know what I mean? Just just very humble as well and I I think it's just a big part of his personality.
1: And one of the reasons I wanted to get him on the podcast was to shine a light on the fact that he's a Chicagoan. I don't think a lot of people know that. He's a Chicago guy, born and raised here, Right. goes off, has this wildly successful career as a coach in football, and then comes back to Chicago, as many Chicagoans do. Mm -hmm. He's got the means to be somewhere warm. Anywhere he wants. He's back in Chicago. Then left here to go back to Buffalo for two years and came back here again. Right.
2: I mean, it's just uh, I mean, just lifelong Chicago. He said his family's here. He'll talk all about it. But. Yeah.
1: So that's great. The all-star break is a week away. And where do you want to be in the all-star break? You just want to be in the Make hunt. Attention. Just attention. right there. So there's other, some other stuff coming up um, leading up to the all-star break. They got a six game homestand. We have the, the 4th of July, obviously, which may have already happened by the time you hear this. If so, happy birthday, America. Happy belated. <laughs> Sorry. Forgot your birthday, America. Happy belated. Um, July 5th, Grateful Dead Night. Mm. How about that? Should be a fun one. Yeah. I hope uh, maybe the players won't be the only ones uh, <laughs> performing on grass. <laughs> ah. Ah. <laughs> Grateful Dead Night. I love it. <laughs> then then uh, the weekend. Um, what What's the got? worst joke you've made in this podcast, and I love it. <laughs> oh, you got something better? Here, no, I'll set you up. No, Here's the fa- premise. No, Grateful Dead Night. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. I'm no, no, really it's all yours. That. No, it was great. <laughs> It was great, <laughs> it wasn't was it? It was great. I loved it. Oh, man. It, was a, it wasn't that great. It was a, it was a <laughs> touch of great. Touch of great. Oh, man. Oh, killing it. <laughs> July 8th is Country Music Night. Maybe you're not a Grateful Dead fan. Maybe you're into country music. Come out Friday, July 8th for Country Music Night. That's sponsored by Coca-Cola. And Saturday, July 9th was, uh, is a
2: hat giveaway. Pretty cool-looking hat, too. Was it seventy six? The 1976 hat, the ISO-X straight across the top. Very cool hat.
1: You know what happened in 1976? I was born. (laughs) Bicentennial. Look at that. Bicentennial baby. So we talked about when Marv Levy was born, Mm -hmm. 1925, Mm -hmm. 1976. 1980. 1980? Miracle on Ice.
2: Yeah, perhaps the biggest of the three,
1: bigger than uh, Miss
2: America's forearm, bigger than the bicentennial. Miracle on Ice is more Americana than anything.
1: I yeah, and there was a hostage situation. I think yeah. in '80, Rand Contra. Uh, yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a bicentennial baby.
2: You're uh, <laughs> ran a Rand Contra baby. baby. <laughs> Dick Vermeil, uh, one of uh, Marv's proteges, was leading the Philadelphia Eagles to the Super Bowl that year, yeah. and they lost to
1: the Oakland Raiders. Oh wow, man, you, you string it all together. What about you, Gareth? Gareth Bryland, our producer. Producer, where we were you born? 1981. 81. Wow, really? Oh, Reagan got shot. You're a Reagan got shot baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's good. All right. So anyway, uh, I'm excited about Tim Anderson. I want to drop his name because uh, we, I want to get him on this podcast. Me too. I don't know if he listens. Oh, I'm sure he but does. But if he's listening, Tim, people don't listen. We want to, we want you on the podcast, man. We got to talk about all these firsts. It's There's, been pretty incredible to watch, hasn't it? Yeah, he's hitting the ball. He's. I mean, mm. he's, I think his average right now it sits around 290. Mm-hmm. And he's had a bunch of multi-hit games. That's been big. He's very fast. Absolutely. And the Three West home Zags, runs? Where did those come from? When was, the last, when was the last time they had a guy that every time I got on base, he's going to steal a base ah. or could steal a base? 2005 is my
2: last memory of it, and that turned out pretty well for us. Yeah. I mean, and, and so it also puts Eaton in a position where he can just take a little pressure off, go back to being a two-hitter. Because uh, you've got two leadoff guys. You've got – I mean, it's just a great spark he provides. Uh, a little bit of instant offense. Like you said, a lot of multi-hit games. He's just really – and he's brought a little more slugging than I expected.
1: I like his stance. I do too. He's on top of the plate. He's aggressive. Mm-hmm. He swings a lot. He swings a lot. I, I like the aggressiveness. And going back to – you know, that could be said for a lot of baseball teams. Speed is not – at the top of the list anymore, you don't see a lot of guys lead off and then swipe second.
2: But then you see teams like last year's Kansas City Royals right. who, you know, are just, I mean, make people make a play. Exactly. That's a big thing in sports. Make someone make a play. And
1: speed. And when you see someone do something successful in sports, people try. You and start emulating it. Right. Absolutely. Uh,
2: just speed is the one thing, you know, you can't teach it. Uh, you've got to – and, and just, again, like you said, for us to have a guy like that, it's been a little while.
1: Yeah, yeah. so it's exciting. And, um, like I said, we'd love to get him – uh, maybe uh, after the All Star break. Because it's going to be, you know, we're going to have to reevaluate this podcast at the All Star break. I think too. we do. I
2: think we need to take a look around you and know. see what's
1: happening. Um, I'm going to be working that weekend. I'm doing a different podcast because I'm on this All Star podcast team. Oh, and or are you? Selected. Oh, that's weird.
2: That's weird. Um, you had a run first me.
1: Half. <laughs> well, I thought I did all right, you know? You did okay, but uh, Kevin and I are doing. <laughs> Both of
2: you are on it, <laughs> as well as our producers. Is that correct? Both yes, of you and our producers are on the.
1: <laughs> 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 it's kind of awkward. Can I give
2: our producer, Gareth, a shout-out and uh, get well soon for his banged-up foot? How unfortunate. Ugh.
1: This guy is in a, uh, what do you call him, uh, a weekend warrior, hero league, dad league. Not giving
2: up your youth league. I don't know what you want to call it.
1: I'll say this. I was invited. Here, here's a funny story. So The last time we recorded a podcast, I go into Gareth's office, and he's like, hey, just going to throw us out there playing basketball night, we might be short a shorter guy if you want to come play. And I was like, ah, you know, what I only have these shoes, like these running shoes. I don't mm-hmm. want to bust an ankle. Or I'm sure I say this is a funny story. It's a <laughs> devastating story. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you're he going to be fine. It's, a, it's just a men's league, rec league. Then we start talking about when was the last time we played, and he talked about how the Bulls and the White Sox had like an inner office play. And the Bulls put Randy Brown out there on the court because he technically works for the Bulls. It's ridiculous. I mean, Randy Brown
2: needs to calm down. Yeah, absolutely. He's like... Was he, he dunking? Was he like... No.
1: Dunking? Shouldn't he have said, like, hey, no, you got... It. I, I right, know right, I right, work right. here, but I can't play. Right, right. Like, Paxson's not out there. Was he talking
2: smack, too? I want to hear that. Was he really good? I mean, unbelievable. Best player on the court. Tonight, uh, well, he should be the best player on the court yeah. by far because he was a professional basketball player.
1: So we have this conversation about Randy Brown and about not getting hurt. I leave. I had a show that night in uh, Zanies and Rosemont. I get on 55, and who is in the car in traffic next to me? Randy Andy Brown. Randy Brown. And what happens that night? <laughs> Gareth blows out his Achilles. <laughs> now, you shouldn't laugh at that, but the irony is, to me, thick. So bummed out, he sends me a text that night, and now the guy's got like a three-month injury. Totally blows out not only our, his Achilles, but mm. our plans Ow. to go to – we're going to do a day game, mm-hmm. take the producers out, and then and, nice and little meal. And make a party of it. Have a good night for it. But no, that's fine. We're just delaying it. It's going to be a great night. We're going to do it. And we want let's invite listeners, too. I think we should. We'll get the date, and we'll all come out, and we'll, we'll have some fun at the park.
2: A little party, absolutely. And we're, we'd like to apologize for delaying it because Gareth is selfish <laughs> and uh, decides that playing in his men's league is more important than us having a good time.
1: All right, we want to interact with you. Uh, We did get a few emails. I went through those last episode, but you can email us at thecycle at shysocks.com. Thecycle at shysocks.com, that's right. And shoot us an email. Give us some feedback. Um, Continue to listen and subscribe on iTunes. We appreciate that. Tell your friends, tell your family, and uh, review us. Are we going to do a review contest soon? Yeah, we're doing good. I, Marv Levy's wife is a subscriber. Perfect. Add a she one said, more. where can I hear this? I said, give me your phone. <laughs> I'll do it for and you. I, I signed her up. That's great. So uh, here we go with Marv Levy. Make sure you uh, are following Jim and I on Twitter. I'm at McGann Pat. I'm at Jimmy Flan. And uh, we appreciate you joining us. We want you to have a good uh, listen to the legendary coach and Hall of Famer, Marv Levy. <laughs> I was reading. There's. Um, are you recording right now? I was. I was reading. There's a. Um, there's something you said before every game, and you started it at the college level. And what was that that you said before every single game?
0: Well, let me give you the background on it. First of all, I was an assistant coach at the University of New Mexico in 1956, and after spring practice, our head coach was offered the the. Um, Athletic directorship at the University of Arizona, he went over, so they promoted me to head coach. At that time, I was the youngest coach in collegiate football. Major How old college. were you? Uh, I was uh, 29. Wow! Uh, and um, and uh, by if you're the way, listening
1: to this and you're 29 and you're not doing anything significant with your life, you should feel very pathetic.
0: Well, that's right. Forty <laughs> some years later, I was tied with George Halas as the oldest coach in the history of the NFL. <laughs> by the way. Oh, but, is that right? When see, you 72. 72, wow. (laughs) But to get back to what I said to our players before every game, when I became the head coach at New Mexico, all of a sudden we're ready for the kickoff of our opening game of the season. Preseason practices are over. Players are gathered around you on the sideline. They probably don't even listen to you. I didn't know what to say to them, but a sentiment washed over me, and I just spilled it out, and I said to them, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? And that's what I was to say before the kickoff of every game I ever coached during the rest of my career. I love it. That gives me the chills. It really does. (laughs) So that
1: leads me to this. Where else would you rather be, Marv (laughs) Levy, than right here, right now, on The Cycle? And if you are curious who our guest is, it is indeed Marv Levy, an NFL Hall of Famer, the second Hall of Famer to join us here on The Cycle, first one from Canton. We are thrilled to have you, Marv. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of it, but we want to make them aware of it. You're a Chicago guy.
0: Yes, I am. Grew up on the South Side, uh went to South Shore High School, uh, way back in the 19 early 1940s. So, yes, I'm a South Sider and I uh remember remember well growing up and being very immersed in uh in Chicago sports and that sure does include the White Sox.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I can remember um you know, most people probably know you from as being the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. And I remember when you were at the height of your success and your going to four consecutive Super Bowls. I remember my dad telling me, this guy is from Chicago. And I just, you know, I think that we're always proud of that. You know, there's so much civic pride, and and you can probably relate to that being, you know, Buffalo has that, certainly, but then you being a Chicago guy yourself and coming back here. um, When you were growing up on the south side, were you a baseball fan?
0: Well, yes, I was a baseball fan. I, I liked both the Cubs and the White Sox very much. I was very immersed in them. I, I mean, I, I was on top of it then, really yeah. on top of it. As I uh, told you before we came on <laughs> to talk, I, I probably could tell you the, the lineups from the 1930 White Sox better than maybe I can today. <laughs> the Mike Kraviches and so on. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> we were just reading about a guy who played, you know, talking about the cycle. I just saw in the paper the other day that Ray Shaw hit for the cycle. Um, it was Two days ago, in nineteen twenty-two. Wow, that's what the, the podcast is named: the cycle. Guys that have hit, you know, for the cycle. Yeah, well, uh, I don't. I, I I wasn't there in nineteen twenty-two. No. no, I know. <laughs> you <laughs> okay. came on the scene when? When were you born?
0: Nineteen twenty-five in Chicago.
1: Nineteen twenty-five. Wow. Yeah,
0: that that leaves me ninety-one right now. Ninety-one years old. <laughs> yep. Okay, but uh, you look great. Yeah. Well, I've been fortunate. I've been. Uh, good health i've exercised all my life still running a little bit every day during are you kidding me no no oh i sprinkled gosh. it in so with, a, it. with a with a about a one hour walk about 10 12 times i'll trot 100 yards i no longer sprint oh come on you've given up uh, no sprinting <laughs> no sprinting. well i'll tell you i was uh, i went to the gym
1: today and i'm not really good at staying on top of working out but if i have to do this every day for 50 more years. I don't think I'm going to make it. <laughs> no, so, yeah, that's yeah, got to be a lot. Know. That's a lot of discipline.
0: Well, uh, I guess so. No, I, I enjoy it. And it helps give me a better appetite, too, for uh, for the evening. So there you are.
1: So um, you you're start in Chicago, and uh, at that time, I think people are not as focused
0: on one sport. You were probably focused, you know, playing everything. Well, yes, I was. Uh, I, I actually... Uh, I ran track, and and when I was in uh, school in Chicago, you could only play one, quote, bladder sport. So I selected football, football or basketball. What's a bladder sport? (laughs) (laughs) Played football at South Shore High School, yes. What's a bladder sport? A a ball with a bladder in it, a a football or a basketball. You can play baseball, no (laughs) bladder in a baseball. You can also play baseball. But I ran track in the spring. I ran track during the spring. I I keep saying I I didn't play baseball uh, because I couldn't hit a curve. Now I I gave up golf because all I could do was hit curves. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And did
2: you go from uh, South Shore
0: directly into the military? Well, uh, I graduated in 1943 during the midst of World War Mm -hmm. II. So along with 21 of my classmates, the day after we graduated, we all enlisted in the Army Air Corps. And uh, three years later, war was over, we were out, and I was off to college.
1: And your father was in the military, correct? My
0: father was in the Marine Corps in World War I, and he fought in an iconic Marine Corps battle called the Battle of Wood. Uh, he was wounded and gassed there, and uh, but yes, he was, he was there in that battle.
1: That's incredible. Jeez. Yeah, I think that um, I, I came across another great quote of yours um, when someone asked you about hmm. a game if it was a must-win.
0: <laughs> well, after we had lost a couple of those Super Bowl games, I remember at the press conference before, that's right, that uh, uh, someone had asked me, uh, is this a must-win? And uh I, I said that. I said, No, World War II was a must win. <laughs> and the next morning uh, the the great radio announcer Andy Rooney called me up a World War II historian too and was yeah. elated about the remark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's solid. That is so great. great. The um
1: you you're into poetry, you're a writer, and I, I was um I just saw that you came out with a book about poems and after your first, as a coach, you would use these poems sometimes for motivation or to, to bring perspective to your team.
0: Well, yes. Uh, for some reason, I did love poetry. That was My dad was in the sports. So I got it from him. My mother was into literature and poetry, and uh, I got it from her. But I remember when I left for World War II on that train, heading down to t- training camp to the uh, basic training, she'd give me a book of poetry. Well, uh, that made you I, popular in the uh, barracks. <laughs> huh? Hey, got something the other, we can look at? <laughs> I had to hide it from the other uh, would be airmen down there at the time. But I did remember a poem after we lost our first Super Bowl game in the dying seconds, missed a field goal in the last play of the game, sure, um, and lost by one point. That riding back on the plane the next day before our final team meeting I remembered one of those poems that my mother had given me four lines fight on my men Sir Andrew said a little I'm hurt but not yet slain I'll just lie down and bleed a while and then I'll rise and fight again so that's one poem that it resonated wow. that is and good put it on our bulletin board our players uh, loved it many of them asked me for copies of it and uh, they, they fought their way back, as everybody knows. We didn't win any of those four straight Super Bowls we went to, but uh, we had a very resilient guy. It was the impossible dream? But boy, they were what a group of people and what great fans we had to support us.
1: Oh, and they loved you there, and they and you were known as that guy who had this this um, you know not the typical sports rough like. You know, you think of football and you think of a guy like Mike Ditka or somebody that has, like, you were more uh, approachable. You were more – you just very educated. I mean, you went to Harvard. Is that correct?
0: Well, yeah, but everybody has to coach according to their own – Personality, you know. Hey, there was great differences, guys. I admired growing up between the great Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry, both great coaches, but very different personalities. Mike Ditka is a friend of mine. Yes, we're different personalities, but uh, he 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 was a pretty darn good teacher. I'll tell you that. And uh, you got to coach according to your own personality. Even in later days, people uh bill Cower, tony dungy different personalities fine coaches
1: who are the guys that directly influenced you as you're coming up
0: well uh um, among the many my own college coach not many people will know about him actually he had once been the coach at new trier high school and then went on to Coe college in uh iowa where i went to undergraduate school and he was my college coach dick clausen but for a number of years when i was an assistant i would During the summertime, I admired two great college coaches, Bud Wilkinson at the University of Oklahoma and Bear Bryant, who was at the the University of Alabama. One summer, I went to every clinic they coached for my time off, whether it was Rutland, Vermont, or uh, Reno, Nevada, and about the sixth or seventh time I was in there one day, Bud Wilkinson looked down, pointed at me, and said, are you here again? (laughs) He he invited me up after, invited me to his spring practices, uh, I got to know him over the years, he was a wonderful gentleman, uh, coached the greatest winning streak in college football history, 47 straight in the late 1940s. He was uh, a very educated man. He could sing every college football fight song you ever oh, knew, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, I, and he was a great teacher. So Bud had a tremendous impact on me. And when I, when in, when I broke into professional football as an assistant, George Allen who had been a great defensive coach for the Bears before going on to his head coaching.
1: And then he was a coach of the Chicago Blitz, and then you became the head coach of Chicago Blitz. Yes,
0: George was the coach of the Chicago Blitz, and uh, he he got an offer he couldn't refuse to move out to the Arizona team. I forget their last name even now in that USFL. But when he did, I had recently been fired from the Kansas City Chiefs, Um, uh, the the Blitz. And I hear
1: that. that Lamar Hunt says that's the biggest mistake he ever made. Well, straight. was uh, dismissing you as head coach of the Chiefs.
0: Wow, you're, you're into it too, <laughs> I'll tell you that, uh, Pat. Yeah, uh, actually, um, when uh, after I'd been fired by the uh, Chiefs, I, I coached that one year with the Blitz. It was the final year of the, of the USFL, went out of business after that. But the general manager, who I knew very well and turned out the greatest general manager in football history, Bill Polian, recommended to Ralph Wilson, our owner, that he hire me. And Ralph said, well, Lamar just fired him. He called Lamar, and Lamar said it was the biggest mistake I ever made, Ralph. Yeah. So that propelled me into it. So take me
2: through that progression because, I mean, obviously once you left Harvard, you actually, I mean, because people know you from the Chiefs, the, the, the Bills, but I don't think people understand the progression. And, and when you left Harvard, you went back to Coe College where you
0: played ball as an assistant. Well, what actually what, what happened is um, – I, I graduated from co-college and uh, entered Harvard Law School. and But when I left, my college coach, Dick Clawson, said, Marv, if you ever want a coaching job, if I have an opening here, you've got it.
1: Dick so, Clawson?
0: Dick Clawson was his name.
1: Was he in the pickle business too? <laughs> no. Dick. No, not, that's not the same guy. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, so I was about three weeks into law school, and I was just, uh, I really, I want to coach. And uh, fortunately, the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences began about a month later than law. They allowed me to transfer over. That's great. So I transferred over, got a a master's degree, and uh,
1: what'd your parents say?
0: Oh, well, when I told them I was changing, I called my dad and said, "Dad, uh, I I want to coach. I'm dropping out of law school." he didn't say anything for about 30 seconds. <laughs> Finally, he said, all right, be a good one. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Did you ever think, like,
2: before he, you know, before uh, Dick Clausen brought that to you, did you ever think about coaching as a profession before that?
0: Yeah, well, it wasn't on my mind when mm-hmm. I was in undergraduate school. I'd gone in with the idea that I'd like to go to law school, and uh, so I was pursuing that. But uh, but I enjoyed sports and athletics so much, so I did wind up back at Coe with him, and uh as an assistant in football and an assistant in basketball and the head track coach fact i would run track at co and actually at co i'd, I'd played partially basketball football and ran track in, mm-hmm. in college so i did all of that but when dick got the head job at university of new mexico he recommended me for the head football job at co but they said i was too young so uh, i went with him as an assistant <laughs> to new mexico and Two years later was the head coach there
1: and the youngest
0: and the youngest as i mentioned
1: that's incredible so the um the coaching was obviously something that was a passion of years and law would have probably been a, a nice lucrative career especially coming out of harvard law school um but then when you become passionate about something and then successful all that other stuff comes
0: oh yeah well it it just appealed to me so much it was what i'd like to do it it's teaching you know great uh, coaches it's not just the game A great coach has three qualities, in my opinion, and number one is the ability to teach, to convey, to get stuff across. And I did enjoy doing that. Two, the ability to work well with others. I don't think, I don't like the my way or the highway approach. Uh, uh, It's total. When Ralph Wilson of the Bills interviewed me and wondered what kind of a coach I was, I said, "I hope I'm a good one, Mr. Wilson, but it's a good coaching staff that counts, not just the head coach." So. Teaching is a big one, working well with others, and being a straight shooter with the players. Don't, don't miss it. What being. is an
1: interview like for a head coach of a NFL franchise? Is it long? Is it like an arduous thing? Are you bringing in – are you sitting down with a whole game plan, like this is what I want to do, this is my vision?
0: Well, I think, I, as I recall back, I, I was interviewed for several head coaching jobs, uh, one with the Montreal Alouettes in the Canadian League, then with the, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Bills. And you prepare a little bit. You write. T- you, I wrote down a list of the type of things I might like to convey or get across. But for the most part, I think it's responding to questions that are asked of you. And I-, I think your responses, where it's merited, you should expand on what you're saying, not just yes, no, I will type of thing.
1: And I know you're known as a man of honor and values, and you know you're a, uh, like, as you said, a straight shooter, but. Perhaps you told a little a little lie in your uh, in your interview for the Buffalo Bills, is that correct? Did I come across that? Uh, I
0: could deny the allegation, <laughs> but that would be a lie. <laughs> well, yes, when I was interviewed, and he said, "Marv, how old are you?" Uh, I was sixty-one, but I figured, boy, that might eliminate me. I once didn't get a job because I was too young, and I figured. So uh, I I said uh, I'm fifty-eight, so I lied by by three years. And
1: when did you come clean?
0: Uh, I, when, when I knew I was solidly in and we'd won a few games. <laughs>
1: you know, by the way, I'm three years older than you think I am. Uh, it's like the exact opposite of But uh, <laughs> I've heard, um, Bill Polian is a guy, and this is something I think speaks so much to you as a, as a human being. Um, you've presented four people into the Hall of Fame. You've been the presenter. You're in the Hall of Fame yourself. There's a short list of people that have done it more than four times. You're about to do it your fifth time this year. One of the guys you inducted, um, you, you inducted some of your players there: Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed. But Bill Polian is a guy uh, that a lot of people know from being successful running a few franchises in the NFL. And he he had mentioned um, that you remind him of John Wooden in the way that you're clear, concise, how you inspire your teammate or your players. Um, what's that like when you're at the Hall of Fame presenting someone else?
0: Uh, well, first of all, to be compared with John Wooden is a tremendous compliment. I had great regard for John, one of the greatest, baske- maybe the greatest basketball. Have you ever met him? Yes. Really? I did meet him uh, at one time. I was the coach at the uh, University of California, Berkeley. And he had just been hired at UCLA at the time. No kidding. So you yeah. guys
1: went out on the town? I know your wife's in the room. I won't ask you what you guys
0: got into. Uh, <laughs> Not with John Wooden. He was straight <laughs> laced as they come. No John. drinks at all? <laughs> no, no. Did anyone
1: do did anyone drink a lot back then? Like I'm sure I know people did, but like were people doing shots? Uh, Never. I picture you and John Wooden just doing the uh, shots throwing them back. I
0: deny the allegations. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Wouldn't that be great
1: right now? You're like, yes. <laughs> Tequila. John Wooden was in the tequila.
0: No, I don't think John ever touched a drink. He's like, let's go. We're
1: going to Tijuana tonight, Marv. It's an hour drive. No, talk about that, being with John Wooden.
0: Well, no, I just got to know him a little bit when they were uh, uh, league meetings in the year, and I got to know him a little bit over the years. And and then several years later, I, I was coaching with the Montreal Alouettes, and now he had ascended to become the great, legendary coach, and I was trying to recruit a football player out of UCLA, and I stopped by the office and had a very cordial meeting with him. And that was about it. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean,
2: just the two of you sitting together talking sports has to be pretty incredible.
0: <laughs> All the people you've met through, through the
1: years, because you probably come across, you know, being uh, who you are, you, who's someone that was like,
0: wow, to you, like I can't believe I'm in the same room
1: as, as this woman or this man?
0: Well, in terms of coaching, John Wooden and, and Bud Wilkinson are two, uh, sure. Right there. One day when we were preparing, I was an assistant with the Washington Redskins uh, to go to the Super Bowl game. We were playing; the, we going to play the undefeated Dolphins. And uh, at practice, all of a sudden, I heard like, a tremendous roar or something This at the practice field. And a bunch of people walked out, and they looked over. And there was President Nixon standing next to me. (laughs) No kidding. Well, George Allen. Did he tell you to
1: lie in your interviews?
0: (laughs) George Allen, our head coach, um, had uh, coached at Whittier College, and Richard Nixon was a substitute on the football team. So they had known each other way back then. And now George was in Washington at the Redskins, and apparently he had tipped Nixon wanted to come out and wish the Redskins good luck in the Super Bowl game, which was just two or three days away. And uh, George, unbeknownst to anybody, had tipped the president off that we were going to install a, a trick play that day at practice, and he ought to come out before we installed it and suggest we do it, so he'd get credit for it. It was a, a ploy. So <laughs> A tricky dick play? Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a reverse to a wide receiver, double reverse, and President Nixon came out and... Uh, suggested we put that play in, and George going along with the with the roof said, hey, that's a good idea. We put it in. We ran it in the game. It lost 13 yards. <laughs> I love
1: – what are the players thinking? We're like, we got the undefeated Dolphins ahead of us, and Nixon's running yeah, our offense. Uh,
0: no, they were just uh, – they, they, they knew that George had prompted him, I'm sure of that. Yeah. I'm sure.
1: So take us to the Buffalo days. Uh, I know that's where a lot of people um, remember you being on the sidelines, and you had some tremendous talent there. And some of these guys I mentioned that you inducted, uh, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed. What was it like uh,
0: being the head coach of the Buffalo Bills? Well, I was so fortunate. Why? The general manager was Bill Polian, in my opinion, the greatest general manager in the history of the game. I had known him from many years before. Uh, the – The owner, Ralph Wilson, what a fantastic guy he was. Honest, straightforward, caring. When we went to those Super Bowls, he took every single person in the organization, about 225 employees, flew them down, got them tickets, put them up in the hotel, everything. Took them all to the games. They all helped us. Get I think there.
1: Reinsdorf did that for the White Sox in '05. Really? I'm just going to throw, throw him a bone here. He's, he, yeah. runs,
0: he runs everything
1: that we do. Okay.
0: Well, that's <laughs> wonderful. It's short and pause. I, I knew Mr. Reinsdorf a little bit because he had had an interest in buying the uh, Chicago Blitz before they went out of business. Oh, really? But yes, yes. So I did get to know him <laughs> a, a little bit. And uh, in fact, my daughter went to college with his son out at the University of Arizona. So there's. Oh, is that right?
1: Success. See, we're all connected.
0: <laughs> Especially Chicago people, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. That's a little. But then the Bills were. It was. We had great players. Bill Polian, Ralph Wilson, and I determined we'd bring only people of high character onto the team. Our mantra: Ability without character will lose. Now we didn't confuse it with personality. We had quiet guys. And we had guys that were very extroverted, but were they team oriented? Did they not play blame? Did they show up on time? Were they good citizens? So um, that was an agreement we had all had. So with Bill and Mr. Wilson uh, and that I was able to work with them made an unbelievable difference and maybe quite a difference. Beyond that, our fans were tremendously supportive fans uh, we'd lose those Super Bowl games. We came back after the first loss. 30,000 people greeted us down at downtown in Lafayette Square and uh, gave a, a rousing hand, ovation, to Scott Norwood, the place kicker. With. I saw that footage yeah, yeah. on the, the
1: 30 for 30 That's documentary. Incredible. It's incredible. Oh, yes. so, it's so incredible. So and it
0: inspired our players to go back. So sure. it, it was great. You know, People used to think of Buffalo as a little bit of a rust belt town mm-hmm. and everything. And Jim Kelly didn't go there when he was drafted. He went to the USFL. He didn't want to go. Jim still lives there. He said, "No one ever wants to come to Buffalo. Once they get there, no one ever wants to leave." That's, That's a great <laughs> description.
2: I've heard great things about the city. Um, we actually another guest, uh, Johnny Resnick from Buffalo. Yeah, um, the lead Dolls. singer of the Google uh, Oh yeah, Buffalo guy, and spoke very highly of the city. But one of the things I think that came out of those Super Bowl losses, I mean, first of all, it, the incredible accomplishment it is to be able to make it four years in a row. But at the same time, nationally, it was a bit of a punchline at the same time, which had to be frustrating because you had an incredibly talented group of players that you took to four straight Super Bowls. And that's an accomplishment you just don't see. What was that like?
0: Well, sure, getting back, it, it, as I mentioned a moment ago, mm-hmm. it turned out to be the impossible dream, but mm-hmm. it's one that we never gave up on, that we had this, as you say, an incredible group of not just players, but of of uh, high character individuals. They were They were great. I still stay very close. With with many of them, see them often when they're in town. They're my guests at Harry Carey's restaurant, uh, uh, and uh, we we do get together. Um, so it it was a it was a great group great group of people to coach, and I value it so much.
1: I think that it's funny that you retire to Chicago, and that speaks to the Buffalo climate. How much. <laughs> More horrible it must be. You're like I'm gonna. It's my summer home. <laughs> I'm sick of 30 inches of snow. Mm-hmm. I'm going to a better. I want 20 inches of snow. I can't deal with this 30 anymore.
0: Well, let me say something. Chicago in the winter averages three degrees colder than Buffalo. However, Buffalo gets three times the amount of snow. Right. Because <laughs> of lake effect. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So was that ever? Um, Was it ever in the cards for you to retire to a warmer climate, or you just knew you wanted to come back home to Chicago?
0: Well, Chicago is my home. Chicago is my wife's home. Chicago is where our only daughter lives, our grandchildren. Chicago is where her siblings live, where my only sister lives, where we have lots of friends. It's a great city. I love it. And we came back here. We might wimp out out to Palm Springs during the winter for a bit of a time. Good for you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're entitled to that. What are some of your favorite spots in Chicago?
0: Oh well I we um we eat out almost every night, so there are restaurants, restaurants, restaurants around. Yeah. Harry <laughs> Carey's I know you, you Yeah, Harry Carey's I along with many other sports figures like uh Bob Costas, Ryan Sandberg are minority owners in the Harry Carey restaurant. So
1: Oh you guys are minorities?
0: Yeah, minor, yeah. <laughs> you Sandberg and Costas. <laughs> <laughs> uh and and, uh, and we go often, but we love it there, and uh, great people. We know Dutchie very well, Harry's widow. Sure. And a uh, fine lady. So, but th- there, are, there are countless. Gibson's on and on, I could go. Mon Amiga, B. Mon Amiga B is a good spot. I think I saw you there one night. Mon Amiga yeah. B, Rose Angeles on the north yeah, side. Yeah, you, you get out, man. That's yeah. great. Uh, and you stay
1: that. busy. I know we talked earlier about the, the writing and the, and the poetry.
0: Um, how often do you write? Well, I've written uh, three books and collaborated on two others, but I've written three. One was a memoir, that that Where Else Would You Rather Be, the term we use, which is really a a memoir about what the coaching was. Then I wrote a novel, Between the Lies, strictly fiction, but it's uh, about a a, uh, legendary sports writer who uncovers, he thinks that his hometown team coach has cheated to win the Super Bowl, but he's not sure he can... got it right he knows he has it right but he's not sure he can display it without without some repercussions that he doesn't want and then the third one I finally wrote a 250-page book of poetry oh my god it all that's rhymes <laughs> all right it all rhymes that's uh, my favorite kind of poetry really it's is. got a rhyme well mm-hmm. my first poem is don't call it a poem if it doesn't rhyme uh, so. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's awesome I like this one I came across uh, if you don't mind I'll read this one um this is about, about your generation, right? But now, faster and faster, the years fly by, and many of my dear pals have said goodbye. And even if today's world now considers us old, they should have seen us when we were young and bold. That's <laughs> when you were doing shots with wooden. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that time when we went off to war and then returned to a world that was better than before. I remember all those with whom I served, the
0: greatest generation a title deserved. Yeah, it was called. Uh, thank you. You uh, you got it down. It was a poem. I'll remember those days. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Good it, stuff,
1: Marv. I think you're such a dynamic human being, and and that's why we wanted to have you on as a guest. There's so many layers to you. Obviously, you have this had the success in the NFL, um, but I think it just goes beyond that. And I think, um, you know, as a uh, as a legend. In one realm of to be able to like go beyond that, I think it just says a lot about you as a person.
0: Well, I'm very complimented by your words and by my opportunity to visit with uh, people from my hometown, from the White Sox. Yeah, uh, we got to get you out to a White Sox game. Have you seen any games this year? I have not. I haven't been to any uh, baseball games this year. Uh, uh, Maybe I'll do it. Look forward (laughs) to it. So they uh,
1: got a guy, Chris Sale, who's in the hunt for Cy Young. Right? If you, yeah. He's got to be on your radar.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, He's, I've been blown away by it. No, believe it. I, I have to make an admission. Growing up back in the 1930s, I maybe was a bit of a Cubs fan back then. On the now south side, I'm pretty the evenly 30s. balanced between the Cubs and Sox. I'm pulling for them both, so, and I've certainly very. – who isn't of Chris right. Sayles right now? Yeah,
1: so we want to have you as a guest at the stadium, you and your wife. You guys come out. And we'll, uh, we'll have a good time.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll thank we, you. I look forward to we'll
1: it. We'll reprise those party nights of <laughs> you and Wooden,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Well, what the heck? Why no, not? it'll be
1: fantastic. So, again, Marv Levy, son of Chicago, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time.
0: Oh, my pleasure, Pat. It's a pleasure to visit with you all. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
1: Well, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? It's beautiful. That literally gives me the chills. when, when I, I've heard, seen the sound bites of him in the locker room saying it. I've seen uh, you know, the NFL film stuff, and to hear him say it in person. Are we going to do it before every podcast from now on? <laughs> no, we're going to play that. We'll play his sound bite. That'd be perfect. That's why I tried to get him to say it. Well, that's why I did get him to say it. So anyway, that was Marv Levy. How interesting, how fun, uh, what a life. And this guy is uh, still just on top of his game.
2: Active every day, going out doing stuff. So they go out to eat every night. I mean, just not a homebody at 90, almost 91 years old, just going out and living your life
1: every single day. It's awesome. It's It's inspiring, right? It is. It's it's inspiration by example. He doesn't. He's not out, you know, talking smack and saying, I do this, I do that. Sure. He just lives his life. Here it is. And just to keep producing. Like he's doing the writing now, mm-hmm. he's always putting stuff out there. And, uh, you know, certain people have that in their in their makeup, and, and he certainly has it. So it was nice of him to, to join us. Um, and I do want to thank Tom Bonadillo, who I did a gig for and put me in touch with Marv Levy so we could line up this interview. Um, anything you want to plug, Jim Flanagan? <laughs>
2: Nothing particular. Um, I'm going to be at Zanies in Old Town, uh, July 5th through the 17th, so if you happen to be around that way, definitely swing out and say hi. Um, I'm seeing for a couple of weeks, working with some great acts,
1: so it'll be a lot of fun. What about you? What do you have coming up? I am going to be... I'm hosting a lot at Zanies in Rosemont, I have a headline night there July 7th, and I'm going to be at the Four Winds Casino in New mm. Buffalo, opening for Sebastian Maniscalco. I just did. That Room is great. On Friday, July 15th, so... You can uh, follow me on Twitter at McGannPat. That would be great. Thank you for listening to The Cycle. We will be back next week with a- another thrilling episode. Bye bye.
0: He gone! He did it!